0: Hear the word of god from luke chapter 23 verses 1 through 5 and 13 through 25 this reading comes from the new revised standard version you can find this reading on page 859 in the pew bible then the assembly rose as a body and brought jesus before pilate they began to accuse him saying we found this man perverting our nation forbidding us to pay taxes to the emperor and saying that he himself is the Messiah, a king. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, You say so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no basis for an accusation against this man. But they were insistent and said, He stirs up the people by teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, where he began even to this place. Pilate then called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, You have brought me this man as one who was perverting the people, and here I have examined him in your presence and have not found this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. Indeed, he has done nothing to deserve death. I will therefore have him flogged and release him. they all shouted out together away with this fellow release barabbas for us this was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder Pilate, wanting to release jesus addressed them again but they kept shouting crucify crucify him a third time he said to them why what evil has he done i have found in him no ground for the sentence of death I will therefore have him flogged and then release him. But they kept urgently demanding with loud shouts that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate gave his verdict that their demand should be granted. He released the man they asked for, the one who had been put in prison for insurrection and murder, and he handed Jesus over as they wished. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, today we find ourselves here in our final week of Lent on this Palm Sunday. It's that Sunday that begins the Holy Week, and it starts out with us remembering Jesus' entry into Jerusalem that day. The name is after those palms that are waved as he's coming into town, people shouting Hosanna. I mean, here he's entering in, entering into town. They've been learning from him. They've been watching the way in which He serves others, the miracles that have been happening, and they see the Messiah among them. And so they are praising, waving those branches. And so while some are waving the branches and shouting "Hosanna," there are others that are not so appreciative of Jesus' lessons, it seems, or some in the Hebrew community were threatened by His power challenged by those teachings and we see fear and scapegoating and retaliation starting to unfold and actually escalating and we heard it in our scripture today didn't we right well here we are on this last Sunday of our unstuck series the sixth week of Lent and so the question before us is how do we get unstuck from our addiction to violence, and and what does God call us to do? And I want to admit to you up front that this is a really difficult question to answer. I mean, it's one thing to answer the question in the abstract or general terms, but when you make the question more personal and look at it in practical terms of our everyday life, well, it can be a really hard one to answer. So I thought we'd just take a look at the story and see if there might be a few insights for us as we see how it unfolds. The story that Jennifer read here for us today was the section of the text where Jesus is being brought before Pilate. He is the leader of the Roman Empire, and he is responsible for peacekeeping. And you know, in Pilate's mind and worldview, the way in which peace is maintained is through violence. I mean, think about it. We have to remember that for thousands of years, from the Old Testament heroes all the way through the brutal Roman Empire, all the world has ever known is that the only way to secure peace is through violence. And so, it's really not a wonder that when Pilate asked Jesus this question, are you the king of the Jews? He's been hearing that. And so, What he's really asking here is, are you a king? I mean, are you going to raise up an army and threaten violence against me? Because here's the deal. If you are, I'm going to have to kill you. And so we ask this question, are you that kind of king, Jesus? And if you look at how Jesus responds, he doesn't say yes, and he doesn't say no. He says to him, you say so. We don't get anything more than that. But somewhere between that and Pilate saying he's going to get released, Pilate somehow realizes that Jesus is not that kind of a king. He's not a threat to Pilate or to his work. And so listen again to what Pilate says. He says, you brought me this man as one who's perverting the people. And I've examined him in your presence, and I've not found him guilty of any of the charges against him. And neither did Herod, for he sent him back. Indeed, he's done nothing to deserve death. He says, I'm going to go ahead and flog him, but then I'm going to go ahead and release him to you. But in the story, we heard the people weren't satisfied, were they? Their fear and that retaliation had reached an escalating point, And all they could do was shout those chilling words. Crucify him. Crucify him. You know, this story leaves us disturbed, doesn't it? In many different ways. And for really good reasons. It leaves us with questions like... What do we do with this violence? And why did those people of faith want violence on Jesus? And why didn't Jesus use his power to stop what was going to happen? And so we're going to take a look at this, not from the lens politically, but a little bit more personally, I think, today. There's not a lot of easy answers when it comes to dealing with violence that lives in our world. Revenge and retaliation and fear, they're all a part of the human condition, right? When we think about it, there is a wolf of love living in each of us, but there's also a wolf of hate that can live in us, too. And so I thought, you know, before we get a little bit too holier than thou on those folks who were wanting to harm Jesus, I wanted to hit pause for a moment because I was watching this show on PBS recently, And it was about the kings and queens of Europe. And it had, um, you know, King Louis, and then it had Marie Antoinette on there. And Marie Antoinette had a very unique way of dealing with people when she didn't like what was going on. And so if any of you know of her, when I say the way in which she dealt with other people whom she disagreed with and didn't like, you're going to be able to finish the sentence because it's become infamous, right? How did Marie Antoinette deal with stuff? She said awful with your heads. There we go, right? The guillotine was Marie's choice of how you deal with things, and there you go. But you know what? Kings and queens throughout centuries have been dealing with things not going the way they liked in some pretty violent ways. We see it whether it's off with their heads, to guns, to hangings, to things too horrible to even mention. And, you know, lethal injection may seem more humane, but it's still violent nonetheless. And, you know, I got to thinking most of us probably aren't going out today and planning an insurrection to get somebody hanged this week, right? Matter of fact, most of us probably aren't planning to leave and, like, punch somebody in the nose when we go out later this afternoon. So what do we do with this conversation about violence I mean, revenge and retribution, they create great drama, don't they? I mean, we see it on TV, played out in movies and video games. Our culture can sometimes seem saturated with it. And truthfully, there is a part in us, if we're honest, that feels good. You know, when that person gets what's coming to them? Like the bully who gets punched out from picking on all those kids. Or the person who commits Fraud, and they're shamed in public, or, or what about the superhero, you know, the one that crushes the villain and wins? Now, I'm not talking about the good we feel when just consequences for harmful actions are enforced. Somebody commits a crime, they have to go to jail. I'm talking about that good that it feels when somebody's harmed because, you know, they had it coming to them. Anybody know what I'm talking about there? I've been reading this book called Boundless Compassion, and it invites us to look at how we live a more compassionate and nonviolent life. And she got to a chapter where she talked on violence, and I thought, oh, good. I'm going to hear a chapter that's talking about world peace or, you know, how we deal with violence. And I'm all ready to start reading it, and as I start going through, I realize... She's not going to talk about that. She's instead inviting me to look at ourselves and to look at the everyday ways in which we feed that little wolf of hate that lives in us. You know, Jesus teaches some pretty powerful lessons about how we personally deal with fear and retaliation and revenge He tells us we're to turn the other cheek, right? We're to give our cloak over to another, and we're to love our enemy. But we know living that's not easy. And while these lessons are true, we also know that there is a part of us that does feel good when somebody gets what's coming to them. I was watching um, the news those last couple of weeks, and for some reason I was really incensed by the the families that were like using money to get their kids into college and what was going on with all that. And I don't know why, but I just was getting, you know, really worked up over it. I mean, I could understand understood they wanted the best for their kids, and, and they, were, they got lost in their lie and their deceit, and yes, they were gonna suffer consequences for what happened. But here was the thing, I realized I felt really good that they were getting publicly shamed for what they did. And I was surprised, actually, how good it felt that they were getting hurt. And I went, oh, maybe that's what they do call that myth of redemptive violence. Because that myth says that somehow that violence or hatred of another will make things better, but it actually doesn't. It actually perpetuates it, right? Natalie Weber says this. She says, maybe retaliation and holding on to anger about the harm that's done to me or to somebody else doesn't actually combat evil. Maybe it feeds it. Because in the end, if we're not careful... We can actually absorb the worst of our enemy and on some level even start becoming them. And so instead of beating myself up or pushing myself down for having these bad thoughts about a group of people and verbalizing them, by the way, to others, I realized I needed to just hit pause and say, what could I do about it? Maybe I just need to recognize when this happens ask god to forgive me and help me let go of any resentful thoughts i have about others and i realized when i did this it enabled me to start praying for other people praying for them praying for their families and it invited me to do that anytime i find those feelings and emotions welling up you know i wonder if you can think of something in your life that has you hovering over that myth what they call redemptive violence. Is there a place in your life where you're saying, crucify him, crucify her? Jesus teaches us that it is not easy about how we respond to violence in ourselves or in other people, to turn the other cheek, to love the enemy. But the good news is that God's power can bring us the capacity to seek forgiveness and not revenge. God's power can give us the will to love and to not hate. And I believe when we do that together in community with others, then I do believe that as we live that out, we can have a redeeming effect on the world. You know, Richard Rohr says this He said, God does have a way of combating evil, and it's not punishment and it's not retaliation, it's forgiveness. Forgiveness is God's way of combating evil, and like it or not, it's what we see on the cross. I mean, at Calvary, God allowed our human system of scapegoating and fear and retaliation to play its natural course out to end in the suffering of God. And then in turn, God shows us God's system, and he doesn't condemn those who put him on the cross. What does he do instead? God proclaims what? All things are forgiven. At Calvary, we see God entering deeply into the suffering caused by human evil. And he says, This ends here. This will not continue to be transmitted. God cuts us free. God cuts the world loose from our own sin because God can't see us chained to it any longer. And then God says, I've cut you free. Now go and do likewise. Forgive as you've been forgiven and love as you have been loved. I think it's hard to to think of nonviolence as a pathway to peace, but Jesus does invite us into a new model, doesn't he? And so as we walk this week through the story of resurrection on Easter, May the healing and restorative work of Jesus free each of us from anything that is holding us back from living as a beloved child of God. And as we do, may we proclaim the good news of God's love that's meant for everyone. Let us pray. O gracious God, for six weeks, we have been on a Lenten journey, and you have been right here with us in our discipline, in our devotion, in our weakness, and our failure, in our fears, and in our hopes. Bind us even closer to Christ, so that we might turn our hearts and mind to all that he experienced in the crucible of this holy week, a week that was both terrible and wonderful. For as incredible as it sounds, you are the God who saves, and we can respond in no other way than to give ourselves to you in praise. For glory to God in the highest. Amen. I now invite the ushers to come forward as we share together in our tithes and offerings this morning.